and welcome to Thinking Out Loud. This is Elizabeth, and you'd think I'm doing a solo show today, but I'm not. I have the awesome and incomparable Molly McConnell with me. Yay! Hi, Molly. Hello. I'm so excited that you're here with me today. Thank you for having me. Otherwise, I would be talking to the thin air all by myself because Mariana is out on maternity leave. Have you been seeing pictures on Facebook? I don't. Um, I might have seen one, but I read yeah. her piece yesterday about. Oh my gosh! Did the it not make you cry? I didn't partly because you know I'm, I'm 21, so babies are still kind of like mm, babies. You know, though, like <laughs> I don't want to have any of my own. Like I'm, and I'm approaching 40, and and so like it's not even like. I don't think there's really much of an age thing. You know, it just depends on whether you're into babies or not, whether you want them. But I don't know. Mm -hmm. I just get like all, I think it's not even the baby so much as like the, the emotional and physical trauma that Mariana had to go through. Right. And then you're like, Oh my gosh, like, look at that. The love. And yeah, I mean, it's true. It's very true. I was like, Oh, I'm going to cry now. Poor Mariana. Are you okay? And the baby's adorable. Yes. But, um, but yeah. Yeah. So. Also, I think part of it is like my mom didn't get, she had three children and she didn't get any epidural at any point <laughs> during mm. any of the, so I'm like, I don't know. Like you had, <laughs> you're drugs, like, whatever, right? Ariana, you, you wussed out. <laughs> no. And then I'm like, I don't know. I'll just be, if I have children, uh, which I tell my mother, I'm like, I'm not going to have children. She's like, Oh yes, you will. But I'll be laying there and being like, give me the drugs now. Right now. I know. I need them. But Yeah. Yeah. It's it's crazy. It's it's baby time around here at Thinking Out Loud. I can't even believe it. But um but yeah, so Mariana will be back with me in a couple of weeks, maybe longer than that. She's optimistic. <laughs> she also yes. wanted to go to a Willie Nelson concert with a six day old baby. So, um, <laughs> Oh goodness. Okay. Well, you know, yeah. <laughs> Exposing she's, the she's child ambitious. to culture early. It's okay. Right. To culture and, you know, pot smoke and, you know, whatever All it needs to build its immune system. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh my gosh. So Molly, let's talk about you for a minute. Um, you've been on the show before. Um, mm-hmm. But um, in case listeners have forgotten or or in case we have some new listeners on, tell us um, how you got involved with thinking out loud. Okay. I, so I'm an English major and my first summer after college, I didn't really know what I was going to do. I had planned to take some summer school classes at a local university, which I did, but Mariana is a former student of my father's. And so she was like, Hey, I kind of run this publishing business. Do you want to be an intern for the summer? And I was like, yes, yes, I do. (laughs) So it became part of my intern duties, but it wasn't really a duty. It was more just like a fun thing to do um, rather than a job type thing. So that's how I've gotten involved. And I worked with her again last summer. So it was exciting. Nice. Well, so what kind of stuff did she make you do? Um, I have edited manuscripts. I have called cold called people, cold emailed people. Um, when you're I've, cold calling, is that for like um, for book sales or? Yes, it was, and it was 
Um, it was disheartening. Yeah. <laughs> well, Did you get lots of rejections? I just got lots of non-answers, and uh, yeah. um, which I guess for me was not as awful because I really don't like talking on the phone, which was part of the reason Mariana made me do it because she knew I didn't like talking on the phone. So she said, this will be good for you. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. She did that to me when we started this podcast. She was like, you should totally do this with me. And I was like, I'm scared to death of like recording and like my voice being out there on the internet. And she's like, oh, it'll be fine. Come on. (laughs) Yeah. I know. And you're like, "Mm, I don't know. No. (laughs) I'm like, thanks for the character growth. I appreciate that. (laughs) Yeah. I'm sure I'll be better later on, but right now mm, it was tough. (laughs) Yeah. But it's been valuable experience. So good. Um, did you work directly with any of the authors or you just um interacted with the manuscripts and then she talked to authors? I have met a couple of the authors. We had I like to think of it as like a, a business lunch so I can feel you know, <laughs> grown up and official. Um, but we also had um I guess like a not a book fair, it was like a table at a larger event. Um, selling books to whoever came up and the author was there. So we interacted some in more of a casual setting. So that was also pretty cool. Just seeing how um, she's a writer, like how does she promote herself and what kind of strategy does she use? Because the whole time she and Mariana were talking like, Oh, we should, yeah, we should look into that or we should look into that idea or we should go to that Mm -hmm. school. And it was just like a constant, like, we're not only here, but we're also thinking like three steps ahead. So that was fascinating. Nice. So um, do you have like plans for your future? Like, do you know <laughs> what you want to do next? Are you, are you like, <laughs> let me see. How do I ask that without it sounding terrifying? Are you like interested in, in publishing, like in the publishing industry now, or are you like a writer and that's really what you want to do is be a writer? And you're just kind of like looking at the publishing industry, like, oh, I need to know how this works. Right. So like, um, like lately this has been on my mind, actually, um, I will be applying to grad school in the fall. So like next fall. So I definitely have to start thinking about it. Um, and as of right now, I don't really want to be involved in the publishing industry because it's so, um, I think it's just so business oriented and there's so much pressure there that, um, that's just like I don't know that that's an environment I would really love. Um, So I'm looking into RET comp programs, so rhetoric and composition, and within those specifically working in writing centers, which I do currently as an undergrad. Um, And so it's more of the idea that, yes, eventually I do – I want to keep writing and I want to be a writer, Mm -hmm. but I also recognize that to freelance is – very challenging in terms of making a living and I'm getting started. So I want to have something behind me that I can have a day job and also like balance the two things so that if one really fails, there's maybe something else there to something to fall back on. (laughs) Yeah. But I would bread and butter um, as opposed to like, you know, the, the thing that you do that's icing on the cake. Right, right. And I, so I want to work with um, developing writers and uh, helping people, not necessarily just be like, I want to help people learn how to write, but like helping them develop the skills they already have and things like that, which is what I do now. So, mm-hmm. and it's, it's a fun job. I really enjoy it. 
Well, that's that's honestly technically what I do as well. I mean, I help um, authors pub- polish their works. You know, um, mm-hmm. sometimes it's just like the the you know the very last bits, like the proofreading or the copy editing or something like that. But I also um, do a lot of developmental work, and that's my goal, especially with my repeat clients when they come back to me with a new manuscript. I like to see um, that they've taken my feedback from previous work and applied it to their current work. Um, so those are my success stories really is the ones where I'm like the next manuscript and the next manuscript I get from them. I'm like, yes, look at how like much further you've gotten and like how much more solid this is than the last one. And, um, yes, and, yes. Yeah, so. and but it's like- maybe a little bit because I freelance, it's a little bit, you know, like, it's just like, well, am I going to have a new job today? I don't know. Let's see. Right. Let's go look at the right. internet and see if I can find somebody who wants to pay me to do this for them. But Exactly. Anyways. Whereas working in an academic setting, it's like it, it, it's more of a stable job because there are always students and there are always right. like the writing center is a, kind of like an institution on campus. And so it's not it's not going to go away. Yeah, Um, that's true. (laughs) Yeah. But I have seen um, the idea that about feedback, I don't know what has changed my mindset and it might be working in the writing center, but in my own papers this semester, I've seen like um, trying to see myself trying to actually like use the professor's comments and really like take them to heart and examine my paper in that lens and then be like, okay, now how can on the next paper that's due, how can I use what they've said to like, Honestly, because I'm in school, I just want a higher grade. But it's right. also it's also that idea of like, no, but I want to improve my writing as a whole, not just for this paper. And so what can I use from what they said to really um, spur my thinking for the next exactly. one or my process or what I do and how I do it? Do you find that um, in an academic setting, per se, that it's easier to get feedback um, as opposed to like when it's like a creative project that is maybe has a little bit more of like your personality in it. Um, Cause I know I hear a, and I see a lot of authors and actually even personally, like when I send something that I've like a piece of my fiction out for critique, I have like sweaty palm syndrome for like until I get it back. And then even uh-huh. after that, sometimes I'm like, Oh my God, they hated it. And that's not necessarily true, but like you have to internalize the feedback differently than like, I don't think I ever felt that way about my papers in college, I can't, I can't really remember that going that way. How does it work for you? I think, um, if I do have like the sweaty palms nervousness for, um, like when I turn in a formal essay, it's more based on like, this affects my grade, which affects my GPA. Like this has like consequences. Um, right. When I send out a piece of creative writing, um, which I, and we read, pieces in class because I'm in creative writing classes. Um, So it's still like that academic setting, but it's very not focused on grade. It's very focused on like the writing itself. But in general, when I send it out to other people to read, I sometimes am nervous, but I think it's the realization that like what they say actually doesn't have a lot of bearing on the piece. Like I don't actually have to change what they said. Like there's no grade assigned. There's no consequence of them not liking it they just right. don't like it um except for unless i'm like personally hurt by it um <laughs> because it is an exercise in vulnerability to 
write something personal and then show it to somebody and say, look, this is like, this is my thought. And this is like what I've kept inside, but I want you to see it. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, that is tough. And I think it, especially in what I write about, which is very personal, um, personal essays, memoir, stuff like that. It's sometimes people don't know the things that I've written. They didn't know about them before. And so, um, they'll probably be surprised by them. And sometimes it doesn't turn out well. And sometimes it turns out great, which is yeah. why I always send pieces to my mom. Cause she's always like, Molly, it was great. It was awesome. I loved <laughs> it. And I'm just like, I always need that, you know, so like, you can cherish that feedback. Yeah. Right. Like, even if I know the essay sucks, it's like, but somebody <laughs> likes it just because exactly. I wrote it. And like, you know, I think everybody needs a critic like that. Who's just like, you know, that they're not really looking at mechanics or narrative right. structure or anything, but they're, they're going to support you. Like they're going to like it. And I think it's really important. Yeah, I agree. I think, um, what I end up, you know, encouraging people to do is like find both. Right. Cause mm-hmm. usually the people that I end up or that end up needing my services most of all are the people that have been told they were great by everybody that has read what they've written so far. Mm-hmm. Um, but they they haven't actually gotten like that the reality check feedback yet either. So I'm like, hi, can I help you with that? (laughs) And I try to be nice. Like that's, I guess the other thing is that like, I, I, um, I pick my readers with care and I'm sure you do too. Um, Mm -hmm. so that when I get the feedback and it's the hard feedback that it's still, um, it still can be constructive. It's not destructive. It's not, you suck. It's, this is not done well and you need to fix it. And here's some ways you can fix it as you know, like there's a difference between those kinds of feedback. Um, right. And, and yeah, so like it's, you can, you can have the, you're amazing and you wrote the most beautiful thing ever. It should win a Pulitzer prize. Um, <laughs> and then you can have the people, the trolls, right. That are like, Oh, this is the most horrible thing I've ever right. seen in my life. <laughs> you should and, not show this to anyone else. <laughs> right. So like the troll people, like, you want to like get rid of them because they're not useful to you. And sometimes the the Pulitzer prize people are not useful to you either, except that they keep you from falling into a pit of despair about your writing so that when you get that constructive feedback, you can take it and you can work on it. Cause you're like, no, I am an awesome writer. Or if I'm not yet, I will be. So. Right. (laughs) And I saw a quote and I think I noticed that you were reading this. Are you reading big magic? I finished, yeah, reading it. Is recently. that what it's called by Elizabeth um, Gilbert? Yeah. Her latest yep. book. Yeah, that's it. Okay, yeah, and she has said some quote from it, and maybe it's not from the book, but she says like, "Don't send your work to the people who are just going to tear you down every time because it's not going to be helpful to your process or to your right. creativity." And and then I was like, maybe I'm, I think I need to rethink her. Maybe I'll read that book. I don't know. <laughs> Well, so, um, and so I, you know, we don't know each other that well. Um, but I should say, I, I really liked the book. The first section of the book for me was a little bit too woo woo magic. And that's coming from somebody who appreciates (laughs) magic. You know, like I read Mm -hmm. tarot cards. I, I like to think about serendipity and things like that, but she went 
a step further for me. And I was like, okay, off the deep end. But, um, but um, after I got through the first section, like there were a lot of things that really spoke to me in there. And it did have to do with, you know, that idea of like, your work is precious, but it's not. And so like, you want to find the people that are gonna like, um, treat it with care, but that you don't treat it with care. You like give it to them and you expect them to, um, to take it apart and, and give it back to you so that you can improve it. Um, yes. so like it's, she, she talks a lot about that kind of stuff. So, but yeah, so when you, when you start reading it, don't be like, man, Elizabeth really like took me out for a ride with this one. <laughs> like you might think, okay, first section weird and then move on and be like, oh yeah, yeah, there it is. So. Yeah, I will keep that in mind. <laughs> I think I just, I read Eat, Pray, Love, and then I heard it, not trashed, but I think in the nonfiction world, it's seen as kind of a selling out. And so I was just like, I don't think I'm going to read anything by her. Aww. So, well, but maybe um, I'll return. I also read um, the, oh, what is the name of that book? The Significance of All Things. I think that's what that is by her. It's a novel. So if you okay. uh, don't want to read her nonfiction, you should try her novels because that book was actually lovely, lovely book. Actually, it was one that um, Mariana sent me through our Thinking Out Loud book exchange, which I think you can still sign up for on our show notes page. Um, so you should definitely do that, listeners, Might. if you get the chance. Um, yeah, I have because- so many books to read on my list right now. It is... Uh- it's crazy yeah no don't even like one at a time one at a time i when goodreads came out i was like this is amazing well no that's not true at first i was like screw goodreads i'm never going to use it because like (laughs) i i i don't know there's something about it that was it still is a little bit off to me the whole idea of goodreads but as far as like using it to um bookmark books that I want to come back to, it's kind of invaluable because my like attention span for books is really, really short. So like people will tell me about a book that I should read and I'm like, oh yeah, I'm going to go get that to read it. And then I forget about it like almost immediately. But if I put it in Goodreads then I'm like, okay, I have this here. And like, then when I'm looking for something to read later, I can scroll through there and be like, oh, look, I wanted to read that book. Or like if I'm ever at the library and just kind of perusing, which happens to me sometimes, um, then I can pull out my phone and like go to my Goodreads app and look and, you know, say, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. This is a book that I was interested in right now. So. Yeah, no, it's so helpful because I, I mean, I read so much for class, um, Mm -hmm. though I, in, I guess I wouldn't call it so much all the time, but it's like time constrained. So you feel like I have to read like a hundred pages so I can like be on track. Um, so it feels like reading something else is just impossible. Um, well, right but now. in the, in the weeks that like, like this week, um, I'm reading the book that Mariana sent me the second one. She sent me, it's called a tale for the time being. Oh yeah. I made her read that book. It's so yeah, good. It's good so far. I'm really liking it. But on weeks like this where I like, I do have time to read something extra. It's nice to have that list, um, to pull out and be like, okay, like you said, I'm kind of like in that perusing mindset. Mm-hmm. Don't really have to read anything, but I would like to. So what can I come back to? Yeah. So, so um, how many, like you're, what year are you now? You are saying I you're a, a junior. junior. Okay. So third year. And you've always known you were going to be an English major? No. 
When did you decide? Um, when I got here. Okay. Actually, yeah, in high school, I kind of bounced around from thing to thing, and um, I had well, I, at first, I wanted to be an entrepreneurial business major. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I realized, well, that's really stupid because when I would sell things to people for fundraisers, the first thing in my spiel would be, you don't have to buy anything, but, um, (laughs) and I realized Molly, all being an entrepreneur (laughs) is like basically just asking people for money all the time. So, right. You have to be like, you have to buy things, right? Like this is not a good life choice. Um, that's a hobby that selling things is a hobby. Um, so then I decided that I wanted to help people and I wanted to be a social worker, which very, you know, like that's cool. I was, I talked to some people, um, but I gradually started to realize that social work is more paperwork than it is hands-on. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a very bureaucratic job. There are a lot of strings and um, the emotional part was not what got to me because I can distance myself from that. Um, but it was just that, I don't know that I would feel like I was actually doing anything if all I was doing was like filling out forms and right. um, dealing with the system. And, and so I was like, ah, I don't think so. <laughs> so my English teacher in 12th grade recommended that I be an English major. Um, she was like, no, like your essays are really good. Like you haven't like the, my mind, she was like, your mind is really, um, geared towards this type of thinking. And so I I didn't really like her. So I was like, (laughs) no, (laughs) I don't think so. Um, and then I got to school and it had still, like, I'd still been thinking about it and I wasn't in an English class at the time, but as I thought about it through that first semester, I realized, okay, I love reading books. Mm -hmm. I do at that time I didn't identify as a writer at all. Um, And I was like, but I do writing papers, like writing comes naturally to me. Um, And I was like, Molly, this is not even like a question. Like, this is what you should be doing. Mm. Um, Just like, because I appreciate literature so much, it would be kind of stupid not to major in this. Um, Mm -hmm. I didn't want to major in something that I didn't enjoy. Um, So I became an English major freshman year, first semester, and I didn't look back. But no, people, yeah, some people are like, oh, my whole life, like, I just (laughs) knew I wanted to be an English major. So I'm like, (laughs) no, you're crazy. I started out and I wanted to be, I I was, well, I think I started out in in the same thing. When I got to college, I was like, oh, I love reading. I should be an English major. Mm -hmm. And um, I had some really bad experiences with professor feedback on my writing um, (gasps) that it was, it was, um, it was semi-constructive in that it was pointing out where I was wrong. Semi-constructive. Right. It was pointing out where I was wrong, but it wasn't like, like he wasn't helping me to, um, to get better. Oh, um, it yeah, was that's just tough. like, th- this is where you're wrong. And fix um, it yourself. Yeah. And it was like frustrating and emotional. And, um, so I like, I quickly gave up that idea and um, became a religions major instead. And okay. um, so like I went, yeah, yeah. <laughs> strange, I know. Um, but so like I went from, I went from a junior college to a four year institution. So when I switched schools, you know, like I had to like transfer over credits and figure out like how I was going to um, get through um, and graduate 
and still do the whole religions major thing. And Mm -hmm. I was taking those classes and taking those classes and I'm in my junior year. And I realized at one point that I was going to be in school for a year longer as a religions major because I had to do some kind of practical like application to the whole thing. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me because I was starting starting to burn out on school by then. And I was like, no, this is just horrible and I can't even take it. And like, I had to go back and take a couple of basic English classes that they were like, well, sorry, yours don't transfer. So you have to take these ones. And so Mm -hmm. I took a couple of those and, um, my professor for one of those classes called me in to his office one day and I was like, yes, because I'd been making good grades in there. So I'm like, you know, what's the problem here? And he was like, why aren't you an English major? And I was like, what? (laughs) And he's like, you're a really good writer. And I was like, no, I'm not. (laughs) Because like, that's what I felt, you know, like that's what I internalized from that other professor was that, no, I'm not a good writer. I can't figure out how to be a good writer. And he's like, yeah, you are. You really should be an English major. And I like went home and I processed that for a while home to my dorm room, you know, and I was like, no, you call it home. Yeah. So (laughs) I'm have to. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So I'm like, I should be an English major. And then I like started looking at the paperwork. I'm like, how can I possibly be an English major? And then I was like, well, sure, I'll be an English major. (laughs) So I took all of my major classes my senior year. Yeah, that's tough. All of them. That is tough. (laughs) So you talk about like having a lot to read when you're in school. Oh, yes. (laughs) Like just do it all in one year. (laughs) I just know. I have no idea. Like, I almost didn't survive modern poetry. That was the one that I was like, I think I'm going to die in this class. Yeah, I stay away from poetry classes. I don't take them. It was because of the way I had to, like, you know, organize my schedule so that I could get all of the credits that I needed so that I could graduate with an English major. Modern poetry was, I think, probably my best option that semester. Otherwise, I would have taken something else. But, yeah, I was like, oh, my gosh. Oh my gosh, it was so much reading. So then when I finally got done with school and I was like, I can read for pleasure now. Right, (laughs) you kind of almost don't want to at first because you're like, I just am so burned out. There's so many words. I'm like, my eyes cannot see words anymore. All they see is black blurs on a page. Yeah, and I think that's also why a lot of people who are in college and who are not in reading classes, why they don't read is not because they're um, overwhelmed by the amount of reading they have, but because they're so busy with every other piece of work that they're like, there's no time to fit in reading. Like, I can't do that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, um, um, you know, like moving forward with that thought, I had like a really weird quick thing I wanted to do with you. I want to do a rapid response, like question answer thing. Ooh, okay. I'm going to give you like either or, and you tell me which is which, but the reason that I'm, I'm going there, I'll explain it. Well, I'll okay. explain it afterwards, but okay. So, um, so I'm just going to start really quick, um, with my questions. I only have a, like four, so no, don't panic, no pressure. Um, but you just like, I'm going to give you two options and you choose one just okay. off the top of your head. So puppies or kittens. Okay. They do this in a, uh, puppies. Okay. Coke or Pepsi? Coke. Digital or hard copy? Hard copy. Uh, literary or genre fic? Literary. Okay. Self-publishing or traditional? 
Oh, uh, traditional. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, so uh, the literary or genre fic was the one that I was actually going to like break down with you right now. Um, do it. Do you, do you choose literary fiction because that's what you read for class? Or do you choose literary fiction because you think it's better than genre? Or is it a personal preference that you're just like, whatever? Um, actually, my brother and I were talking about this this weekend a little bit. <laughs> he, do, he does not um, read. Uh, but we... He is... I'll, yeah, so I'll get to the, like, why I read literary fiction, but mm, mm-hmm. he um, he goes to, he's getting his master's at Virginia Tech, and um, he, Tim O'Brien was coming to speak. Um, are you familiar with Tim O'Brien? I think, I'm going to look. He wrote The Things They Carried. Mm-mm. Okay, I, I highly recommend it. It's incredible. I loved it. Um, and so he was coming to speak at Virginia Tech. So I was like, okay, yeah, I'll go up and we'll like watch this guy speak. Cause I was like really interested and it was incredible. But, but earlier that day we were hiking and we were talking about, um, how many books are published in this country and what is published, um, and how that reflects what the public kind of wants to see, um, and what the public wants to read. And so, um, being in classes that highly emphasize literature, I see some of the things that are published. I'm like, I don't know, like, yes, it might have like a catchy story, but like, where is like, I guess the craft of it? Like, mm-hmm. and I know that genre fiction definitely has craft, but to me, it's less so. It's more about like a, it's just the story and how you get there isn't, doesn't seem as important. Mm-hmm. Um, so I try, I do try and t- I tend towards more literature than I do genre. Okay. Um, also, yeah, I, I think it also, mm, that doesn't sound good. I was going to say like, <laughs> I just, I, to me, and maybe this is just a perception thing, but literature I think tends to deal with um, deeper themes of humanity and that could, I'm sure that many people would contest me on that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you're welcome to do so. Cause I am <laughs> like, well, I, you know, I really don't have any proof. That's uh, just how I see it. Um, yeah. Um, well, so like I, I will, I will say, you know, like I just like pigeonholed you on that, but like until, um, until I had been out of college for three or four years and had time to like let my brain process through everything that I'd been like learning while I was in Mm -hmm. school, all I read was classics. I like, so I took that literary fiction and I like pushed it a step further (laughs) of like, if it was written before 1900, I didn't read it because like, why was it worth reading? Right. Mm -hmm. Like it was, well, and I take that back because Fitzgerald fit into my my literary right. view like at that point either yeah. but yeah so he's like more modern classic still but anyways so like like I had I definitely like had that view of literature at that point as well um and and so like I'm I don't judge you at all for your like opinions because they're your opinions and they're how you're processing um literature as it like unfolds before you. So that's, that's great. And it was just something that I was interested to, to like hear and know about you because I, I know too, like, um, in 
like in different um, areas and different parts of academia. And now like, you know, genre is picking up a lot um, as far as like people being able to seriously study literature and, and enjoy reading those types of literature as well. Right. um, So like, it's just interesting to see how, like how it evolves. Um, I will say, Oh, so go ahead. No, I was just gonna say, um, like in the university setting, we yeah. do like offer classes in like sci-fi fiction or mystery fiction or or a young adult um, probably, yeah. I yeah, I don't know if young adult is offered, but I know like also there's one for like graphic novels, mm-hmm. um, and generally those classes are. Um, like lower numbered. So the implication is that they won't be as like intense, Uh um, like in, uh, the ways that they're studying the literature, whereas you get up into higher numbers and it's far more specialized and kind of like a deeper, more intense focus on, Mm -hmm. uh, depending on how the professor structures the class. Um, but yeah, no, I think that there is a place for those works to be studied because if we ignore things that are being written right now, I think it's a, not a good choice yeah Based, totally like I, you know to like not study current writing it's, it's mm. I think that's dumb <laughs> yeah yeah it was one of those things that like it it came to me kind of slowly right because like my idea had been you know if it doesn't let, stand the test of time how do you know that it's worth reading but that's not necessarily true when you're like talking about um like current cultural climates and things like that it's really good to look at what's being produced right now because it gives you like insight into what's going on in the world and how people are processing it and i think no it's so true i think that sci-fi and fantasy especially um are doing that too it's just that it's not it's it's set completely outside of the realm of reality (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. so like when you look at literary fiction, the themes you can distill because you don't have the distraction of trying to figure out the world that you're in first. Um, and with fantasy or with sci-fi, there's a lot more to distract you and a lot more to distill your way through to get to the themes. And so maybe the themes, um, don't get as much attention as they need, um, Mm -hmm. as the book is being processed and produced. Um, I don't know. Um, but I think they're they're getting there, and and I've read my fair share so far that um, have really like spoken to me too. So yeah, and on the other side of that though, like removing any sense, like maybe transplanting worlds or universes, or even just removing all sense of one, I think can also have the opposite effect and that the themes are more clearly stated mm-hmm. because you um, have removed all current perceptions of your own world. Cause if you're transplanted, you're like, I don't know this world. So it's like, okay, what's the first thing that stands out to me and like what themes are coming through. Um, right. Definitely. We just finished reading uh, the intuitionist. It's by Colson Whitehead. It's very, it was very well written. It was very good. It was published. Um, I think in the two thousands, uh, so for literature, you know, like really recently, uh, <laughs> and he, there are no cultural markers in the story. It's in a world outside of our own, but you know that it's a society like our own. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does help. It kind of 
because there's distance in that area, you're able to more closely examine what's going on because you have the safety of saying like, oh, well, that's not my world. You know, like you can, um, I think more closely read it if you're not concerned with how realistic it is. Sometimes Mm -hmm. this is true. Yeah. Well, um, when you're like ready for it, I recommend The Sparrow by Mary Doria Russell as okay. um, as a really good sci-fi um, with like those meaty literary themes attached mm-hmm. to it. Um, so add that to your list on Goodreads. I shall. I shall. <laughs> so that you can like, you know, and, and I'll, I'll hope that's your gateway drug there. <laughs> yeah i really i really need a, a gateway drug to more and more books absolutely. i'm sure everyone in my life would appreciate that <laughs> absolutely we all do no but i read that one and i mean that wasn't the first sci-fi that i had read but um when i read that one i was like wow she just really like was hitting it hard as far as like you know the things that she was trying to convey to the reader yeah, her action and through her world building and all of that. So super well, then interesting. There's, there's also authors like um, I went through this huge Michael Crichton phase um, oh, yeah. when I was like, um, I think I was like in middle school or high school and I just loved him. And also he wrote the TV show ER. So, uh-huh. he, <laughs> I, you know, I, he's always like up there um, and those, I love his books and I think that they're, I wouldn't call this literature, but I, they're, <laughs> Uh, but you know, like they're so I think he was a very good writer I think in I think he was and then people like Margaret Atwood who mm-hmm. writes very unrealistic um and kind of detached narrative from what we might call realism I mm-hmm. think she also in that right would be considered not necessarily sci-fi but farther from the she does dystopian right isn't the the handmaid's tale is, yes which and then I like works and creek um which i think i read that this summer yeah but yeah i just read the um her short storybook stone mattresses Whew. okay and how was that, that? Was really good and that was like the actually the first thing i've read by her and mariana yells at me all the time when we talk about margaret atwood because i'm just that far behind or whatever but <laughs> yeah the handmaid's tale i was just after i finished it i was just like wow that was it was just so impressive you just sometimes you put books down and you're just like i just what do i even start next <laughs> i can't is there anything i don't know i don't know well i i don't know i like reading um and rereading books that inspire me like that, that I find mm-hmm. that beautiful. But because, because like, I think the first step to finding your voice and, and creating something like that is to emulate. And so like the more you read, the more you like process their voices through you until you get to yours, you know, but right. So like, no, that's it's so true. Yeah. Um, that's what, um, that, uh, the author, why is her name not there? Um, the author of the tale for the time being. Yeah. Ruth. Ruth um, Ozeki. That's it. Ozeki. Yeah. I was like, come on, Rita. No, Ruth. Ruth Ozeki. Um, she, I love her books and I've read a few by her now. Um, and, and actually the first one I read by her was my year of meats. I highly recommend that book as well. Um, after you finish a tale for the time being. Um, but like, I just, 
the way that she constructs her stories is so fascinating to me. And, um, and yeah, so like I read that. I also happen to be a big fan of JK Rowling. So like I read that and I reread that and I like deconstruct it and analyze it and then, you know, add elements where I need them in my own fiction or think, well, you know, like when I hit a point where I'm like, what am I doing now? <laughs> then I'm like, okay, how would, you know, how would JK approach this? Or how would Ruth approach this? <laughs> I love that. <laughs> you know, I have to though, because like, I don't know, that's maybe that's just my process, but I'm like, I need to no. like figure out how to like convey something. And I can tell that how I'm doing it is not good. It's not getting there. So I just have to like process it that way. <laughs> yeah, no, I've always heard that. I mean, in creative writing classes, they really drill it into you. Like you have to read to be a writer. You have to read to be a writer all the time. You always have to be reading, but they also sometimes are more specific and they say like, find authors or find writers that you want to be like and read them specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, don't just read anyone. Like if you, I mean, definitely you read widely, but also read deeply the writers who like you're saying have that voice that you want also to have or some semblance of it. Um, which is why I have, um, one of my favorite, um, nonfiction, I guess like essay collections is called tiny, beautiful things by Cheryl Strayed. Mm. And it is, it's incredible. She just, I love her style. I love her thoughts. And I'm just like, I just want to be you. I just want to be you. Um, But yeah, I think it's so true that reading those can help you develop your own writing. And like you said, when you're like stuck, it's like, okay, what would, what would it sound like if this person said it? And do I like that? Do I not like that? Yeah. And how would I do it differently? Yeah. Right. I mean, because in the end, you know, it's not how you sound like someone else. It's how you sound like yourself. So, right. But you you don't know that until you've like practiced it and you can't practice something that you don't know yet. So you have to practice what you do know, which is what you're reading. So, right. It's very yeah. true. Cool. Well, I'm glad you picked Coke too, by the way. Yeah, I don't, like, don't drink soda at all, but for some reason I see Pepsi as, like, an off-brand soda. It and totally is. <laughs> and so I'm like, I don't know. I think Coke is more generic. Like, it's <laughs> the one I would totally go with if I drink soda, but... That's good. That means I don't have to delete this recording when it's over. <laughs> You're not a Pepsi person? Oh, no. Well, I grew up in Atlanta, which is Coke capital. So. Oh, Coke City. Yes. yes. <laughs> so Definitely. I... And I hardly drink, I hardly drink soda anymore anyways, but if you ask yeah. me which, which one, I'm like, Coke, please. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to think if I had, like, if I had to drink soda, I really don't know. Does ginger ale count? I would totally go for some ginger ale. Yeah. I would count ginger ale, but I think that, um, like there's, so there's different brands, right? And I think Coke has one and Pepsi has one. Oh, of ginger ale. Uh-huh. Yeah. I like Blenheim. That's kind of like an old school brand, right? Yeah. Maybe. You know, it's like as far as like actual, you know, if I had to pick a soda goes, I would choose Ale 8, which is a Kentucky regional soda. Is it very um, specific? Yeah. It's so it's kind of like ginger ale, but it's a little bit more like um, fruity, kind of juicy fruity. Um, okay. And I tend to like it better than anything else that I hmm. could drink, but my boyfriend this summer tried to homemade his own root beer. Oh, um, that was a 
yeah, it was, I was like, hmm, this is an expensive hobby to develop. <laughs> I don't know if I like this. Um, and then it failed. And so I was like, oh, that's sad. How did I don't it really, fail? Um, so when you, you, we like mixed all these things uh-huh. and you have a yeast, it's called a ginger bug. Okay. And you like have to feed this thing and it's like feeding the yeast to make sure they stay alive and are like, so then you mix the liquid with, and you put the, some of the ginger bug in it. And so the yeast like begin working in the mix and you've sealed it and you put it in a cool, like a dark place. Um, so it can be again carbonating. Mm -hmm. Um, but his house I think is too cold. So the yeast I think just died. Oh, Um, how sad. Yeah, I know. I mean, I was sad for him that it didn't work out, but I was also like, well, I don't really like root beer, so <laughs> really like, no oh, loss well. here. <laughs> yeah, darn. I'm not going to cry over this one. Right. Like, if, it, if he'd have lost, if he'd have, he did try to home make ginger ale, and it failed, and I was more disappointed about that because I was yeah. kind of excited. But Well, know. you know, my husband, he is always trying something like that. Like, he made cheese once, and man... Was it? He tried to age it. It was not not a good experience. I was to say, was it good or <laughs> no? Good? It was not <laughs> a good experience. But and he recently, um, like there are a bunch of olive trees around us, and they all had like <gasps> tons of olives on them. And so he like harvested all these olives, and he was um, soaking them in our in our refrigerator. He had this big tub full of olives, um, and he was gonna brine them at some point. But he said first they had to like soak for a month, and he had to change the water every day. Um, only like he didn't change the water for the past week. And so they started getting moldy and I was like, okay, we're getting oh. rid of these. I'm like, That's this so is not sad. good anymore. <laughs> but I bet they would have been really good. Fresh olives are just delicious. I don't know. It might've been good. I mean, have you ever tried an olive directly off the tree though? I have not. Don't and do I it. Don't, yes. I don't know that I want to. <laughs> like, don't do it. It's really not good. They're really, yeah. really bitter. Yeah. I just, and there are things also like, when I was in Rome, we were at this estate and we looked down over the wall and there's like vines growing. And the guy who was leading us around was like, oh yeah, that's like a caper berry. Oh. And I love capers and I think they're great. Um, but I would never try one raw. Just thinking about like, I just don't know, you know, right. I like them after they've been sitting in salt and have <laughs> right. aged and it's funny. there's probably something else added to the. Yeah. Somebody was like, how did they ever figure out? To, you know that olives were good to eat because they're so gross when they're not like brined but like the theory is that they were you know floating in salt water next to the mediterranean sea or something like that and our pre-human ancestors picked one up and said "Ooh, that tastes good <laughs> yeah i was gonna say i think probably many things were just accidents like right you just like pick random it up and put discoveries in your mouth, like or like toddler. you ate something and didn't die from poisoning and you're like well it's safe <laughs> right great oh good <laughs> that's awesome cool well um i think i think we can start wrapping it up here because okay like we've done really well for us i'm, I'm so impressed molly um, yeah. yeah. So like we usually end by talking about what we're reading right now. And you mentioned you're reading a tale for the time being. I am. Yeah. And you're, so you're enjoying that. I am. I am quite enjoying it. It's Good. different because I'm also, I finished, uh, so I'm in a Shakespeare class this semester. And while I've finished reading all the plays, I still have that. I still have to like go discuss them and stuff. So uh-huh. I have that kind of, um, 
ooh, let's go talk about Shakespeare. And then I'm reading this book. So it's a nice change. Nice. Um, you know, like just getting a lot of diverse types of writing in. Yeah, that's good. I loved my Shakespeare class. I still have my giant anthology of Shakespeare. Yes. Do you, did you have the Norton? <laughs> um, no. What's the one that I have? It's this big, like solid gray looking book, which it's got like 3000 pages in it. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. It might be Norton, yeah. but I and, can't remember it now. And they make you carry it around. Like I have to yeah. take it to class. And I'm just, yeah. really? I'm going to have back problems. <laughs> exactly. It's worth it, I guess. It is. It is. Oh, good old Shakespeare class. Well, um, I am reading right now a book called Ravens in Winter by Bernd Heinrich. Um, okay. And it's nonfiction, which Ooh. I've actually been reading a lot more nonfiction recently. Um, it's good, right? Yeah. 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 But this particular book is like a naturalist who did a study on raven behavior. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm reading it to enrich the fantasy novel that I'm writing because there's my main character um, is a girl who um, has, she rescues a Raven and then she trains it. And then she like, um, she starts like collect, not collecting them, but she will train Ravens. And so she has birds and, and it's, she ends up like doing falconry too. So eventually I should probably read something about the nature of, Birds of prey, but I'm not even there yet. <laughs> so, so, one thing at a time, right? Exactly. We'll start with ravens, um, and then move on from there. But, um, but no. So, like, uh, it's somebody gave me the book, and then um, just randomly a couple years ago, and then like I was like writing this novel and this character, and I was like, I really should find a good book about like raven behavior and so i googled it and i was like oh hey i have that one <laughs> you're like yeah so how convenient like, hey, that's is good that? <laughs> let's let's read that book so yeah no definitely yeah so i just started it though so i'm kind of excited to see where it leads and what it's all about so anyways cool well um um i my dog is making noise behind me. I'm not really sure what he's up to over there. He wants to be part of the conversation. Um, I really enjoyed talking to you today, Molly. Thank you. Yes, I enjoyed so it as well. Thank you so much. And thanks for letting me put you on the spot a couple of times there. You did excellently. Thank you. <laughs> um, and I really appreciate like hearing your, um, your opinions too. So like, um, I like sharing them. <laughs> yeah, no, it's great. It's good. And, like it, it helps me make my world view bigger. So it's always good to hear from other people. And, um, I might make you do this again with me before, um, before Mariana gets back. We'll see about that. All right. (laughs) So, but, um, listeners, if you need to find somebody to publish your book for you, you should definitely check out Harrelson press, um, on the web or on Facebook. Um, you can, you can look them up and, um, send an email to Mariana and she will um, work with you. It's a very personalized service. Uh, she's really enthusiastic about the work that she does. So, um, check her out. She's amazing. And if before you want to, um, go get your book published, you really would like to have it in the best shape possible so that your publisher is really excited to work with you (laughs) instead of dreading it. Um, come see me. Um, you can come find me on the web at www.writingrefinery.com. And I do developmental editing. I also do copy editing and proofreading and um, 
I can help you get your manuscript into tip-top shape before you go put it out there for people to give their relentless and um, highly critical feedback to it. (laughs) Um, So thank you so much for being with us for this amount of time. And thank you again, Molly. And keep writing, keep reading, and keep thinking. Keep thinking.